Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks again for being a part of this conversation. I'm Phil Dark, your host, and with me again is my brother, my teammate, Paul Jobson. And today we have another fun conversation where we are going to be talking with Amanda Vandervoort. She has all kinds of stuff. I don't have time. It would take the whole episode to go through her resume, but we're going to talk with her about her story, just have a fun conversation about soccer, where we're at, where we've been, where we're going. And she has a lot to say about all of that. We're going to talk about how all of it has to do with leadership because that's what we do here. Paul, how you doing, man? Doing great, Phil. Man, I'm excited about a, another great interview. Excited to talk to Amanda today with all of her experience and just learn a lot today. So I'm excited about it. I feel we've been knocking out a lot of uh, interviews lately. So I feel like we're we're seeing a lot of each other, Phil. It's a good thing, man. So it's good to good to see you again. It is. It is. You're a good looking man. So it's it's a good thing that. for us to be able to just hang out, you know, and good you know, for tonight, audio, not so good for our YouTube viewers, though. Well, we can say it about each other here because no one's looking at us. So it's it's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're on YouTube, they they could judge for themselves. But they put in the show notes, you know, put in the comments what you think of, of that, whether you, you agree or disagree. Is Paul a good looking man? I think it's going to come like 98 percent. Yes. So and I then Marcy that. might vote something. I don't know. But one of your kids, they'll come in and be like, oh, it depends on the day. But, you know, that's all right. So, you know, tonight I have a big play in game. We've been talking about my team, probably mm-hmm. the most underperforming team I've had. They're incredibly talented, but they're just, it's too good of a culture on our team, I think, is the problem. They just hang out. They like hanging out. You know, they don't have that desire to, you know, it doesn't matter if they win or lose. They just love hanging out with each other, and it's that's a beautiful thing, and I want them to win. So, just praying for that big win tonight, then make a run in playoffs and just be the 16 seed that surprises everyone, so we'll see what happens. But, anyway... That is, you know, something we can talk about later because today we do have Amanda with us. And Amanda, how you doing? I'm great. It's great to be here, you guys. Thanks. Yeah, this interview is a long time coming because uh, we, <laughs> we talked. We initially met on Clubhouse. And for those of you who are part of the Clubhouse soccer conversation, that didn't last very long. So we know that wasn't, you know, that was a long time ago, too. It seems like, I mean, time goes so fast. It wasn't that I'd long I'd almost ago. forgotten about that totally, Phil. Yeah. Yes, almost, yes. I mean, wow. But yeah, it was but great. It, it was, was great. Oh, yeah. it, it was. was. It was engaged. People were honest and authentic. I love yep. Clubhouse. I thought it was a cool. I mean, it was before I was at the USL. Even I was. I I was in Tucson, Arizona. I remember exploring yeah. Clubhouse and meeting new people on on that platform. Actually, that was so neat and open. It was great. And, you know, I mean, in this like this conversation probably wouldn't be happening right now if it wasn't for that. I mean, that one you came on was one of my favorites because that one was like Moe Du and and he's like going, I got to get Ale on this. So he's texting Bedoya and they're coming on. And then you came on. Diego came on. That was one of the ones that uh, connected with Diego and now good friends. So it's like that. That's the beauty of what the Internet can do. Um, There's there's shadow sides of it, obviously. But that was I I agree. It was just really good conversations that just flattened any like celebrity status flattened any it was just hey let's talk and and no one's seeing each other and it's just a good conversation where you can be real with each other which was which was really cool ironically the be real app probably is the least real app out there i think clubhouse was a very real app and still is i guess i still it's still going on but i don't think a lot of people are going on it with the at least the soccer community but anyway i want to hear you know about your story a lot of people don't know don't know who you are amanda and a lot of people listening are probably wondering what your story is if they do know you and so right now you are the president of the usl super league it oversees all the you know the entire 
USL Women's Pathway, which is pretty cool. We're going to talk about that later. But can you talk about how you got there and just your story and how you developed your passion for soccer, for leadership, and, you know, just how you ended up with the USL? Yeah. And you know what? I, I, I appreciate even the concept of, of this and, and what you've brought to the idea of, of leadership through the lens of soccer and, and vice versa, right? Because there's so many things I think I've learned all along my journey that, that just connect in every podcast you guys have in every clubhouse room that we were in. So yeah, you know, I, played, I played soccer growing up in Arizona. I went to University of Wyoming. I was a goalkeeper at the University of Wyoming, and then went to go on and coach for a number of years. I was a coach in New Jersey and then the head women's soccer coach at NYU before I moved into the business of professional women's soccer and helped launch WPS out of the San Francisco office at that time. So, you know, I've been in the game a long time from, from player and coach onto the, the executive or management side of the business. I did women's soccer, women's pro soccer for three years. And then I went to major league soccer. I was at MLS as the vice president of fan engagement. I was there almost a decade at MLS, I, which I loved. And then I decided I wanted to work in international football and I wanted to be back in the women's game. So I moved to Europe. I worked for FIFPRO, which is the Global Players Union out of Amsterdam. I was there until COVID brought me back to the United States and this opportunity to build women's professional league, but an entire ecosystem youth to pro for the USL from the ground up. So moved to Tampa, Florida, and that is where I am today. You know, along the way, I've also stayed committed to coaches. My journey took me to being the president of United Soccer Coaches in 2016. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm absolutely committed to the coaching industry and coaching professionals, the development of coaches. And I've also done a lot of work in women's football development around the world. I was a consultant for FIFA for about six or seven years, and I did programming in the Caribbean, in India, in Tanzania, across Europe, just really helping build women's soccer around the world, professional to amateur ranks. So, so yeah, hopefully, you know, what we're building here at the USL and the Super League kind of takes in a lot of that knowledge and learning and I can use it to apply, you know, for the future of, of soccer here. Yeah. You know, and, and you have, I mean, that is so much there. And the one thing I saw in your bio too, that I, I would, my daughter would be really mad if I didn't ask is you're an avid baker and Indeed. you yeah. do cakes and, you know, for sporting events, parties, birthdays, and weddings, like that's pretty big time. And so what, what is your favorite thing to bake? And then we're going to put that recipe in the show notes if it's public. Well, see, here's the thing, Phil. I have this I have this dream of not necessarily what my favorite thing to bake is, but my future favorite thing is championship cakes. Like oh. what I believe is missing from a championship celebration in sports is in the locker room after the game, a custom cake for the like team it. to celebrate with, right? You get champagne, you get beer, whatever the sponsored elements are. You can create a sponsored cake left and right, but make it real customized. to the winning team, I think it'd be amazing. Like, so this is my dream. This is the Vandy cakes, yes. the long-term ambition the one day love it. celebration cakes in the locker room. Amanda, always... I think you probably have you probably have everybody on board except the facilities people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody but the facilities people are like, you know, we've we've learned how to like block everything off for the champagne and the beer, but yeah. cake, man, that just gets in you. It gets all yeah. over you. you yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. A carpeted locker room would probably be trouble. But... <laughs> 
You just gotta, like you said, customize. You can make it without the frosty. You know, there's ways to do it. No, there's ways to do it. Do cake without I know. I'm, ju- I'm just throwing it out there. We do cakes without everything, it seems at this point. But you know, I don't like them, but they have them. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I love that. I love that idea. I love that idea. So one of the things that I always love talking about with people is, and I love to hear from you because you've been, you know, leader. Like now, you're the president. Obviously, that's the highest title. Typically in an organization, obviously there's people that you're working with and a board and all that that goes along with it. But what did you learn when you were in those positions back, you know, maybe with the MLS or other things where you were really leading, learning to lead by following? What did you learn in in those positions and whether you were on a team or otherwise that you're using now? Yeah, that's interesting. Learning to lead by following. I think... I don't know that I don't know that I would describe my my experiences learning to lead by following, but learning to lead by listening and watching because we're all leaders, right? Whether you're the president, whether you're the the social media coordinator, like we're all leaders in our own way. And so I think sitting at the table, this idea of of like I I, I think I live through that ideal that we're all we're all leaders and and we all have unique skill sets. I think we're starting like specialization is really important to the su- overall success of an organization and what you bring to the table is matters and it could be your area of of specialty but it could be um, your experience and knowledge. So so for me, let's just take Major League Soccer. When I was at the table at MLS, I was running social media for a long time there. So, you know, I had that area of specialty that I could bring to the conversation. But at the same time, I was a woman in a male business and men's professional soccer. And so I maybe brought a little bit of a different context or understanding of the female fan or women in business in soccer, you know, that that I could represent with authenticity at the table. And, and I always thought that was important, but then also listening to that experience and context of others, because that's how we as an organization are stronger, I think is by listening and learning from, from everyone else. Yep. And you you mentioned, you know, even as you were talking, all the different places that you've been and all the the, the Mm -hmm. consulting you did really around, around the world and, and, and trying to develop the women's game. How, how have those cultures impacted your leadership? You know, I mean, you're sitting at the table, you know, at MLS and, and you're a woman at the table and, and bringing these, you know, these amazing insights that a lot of these guys probably aren't going to have. But you're also all over the world sitting at tables with other cultures and different things like that. How has that influenced your leadership? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think I do, you know, as as a... Oof. Gosh, my head is spinning with like, okay, what was it like in Jamaica? What was it like in India? What was it like in England? What was it well, like just, in the just for just for and it's maybe so to different. Clarify, yeah, yeah. Just to clarify um, too, like you're sitting at a table in you know in in India or in Jamaica, you sit at the table. It's a little bit different culture, so you have to you're probably yeah. sitting there and having to present yourself a little bit differently and having to listen a little bit differently and having to take in the, the cultural differences of how. You can't just run in even as an as an American and say, "Well, this is how you do it," right? You've got to listen and things like that. It but can. Is that is it, it can, difficult? But you don't last long. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. <laughs> right. You're not getting invited back to the table. But what are, yeah. are were there some challenges in that? I mean, what were take us through some of that? I think it's very yeah. interesting and in how different people yeah. lead. It, yeah, it is. It is. I agree with you. I think Paul, like that's such an important point is like understanding and listening to to the, the the other people in the room and the culture and and taking your time with it I do think for me when I was maybe earlier days in my career I wanted to rush to a conclusion or I wanted to like 
you know, solve, solve big problems early without maybe the full context or the full process that it took to get there. So, you know, and a lot of, so, so a lot of those countries I just described, if I was doing a course with FIFA in Jamaica, or I was doing a course in, in India or something like they were short courses, like one week or two weeks. And you wanted to just like, like share everything you knew and hope that they would take it and like build women's soccer, you know, in their country and adapt as necessary. But I think as I've, I've learned and grown a bit, it's more about me adapting like to exactly what pieces of information are going to help them on their journey. So it's like meeting them where they are and their women's soccer journey specifically, but then also like layering over, yeah, culture, like, how, how, you know, how people operate in, in different contexts is, you know, it, it does look a lot different and in the boardroom in Jamaica than the boardroom in the Netherlands and just even like, like systems of operation. So you kind of have to like learn to work within that and learn to bring your own, your own ideas and insight, but complement it with, with theirs too. Cause there's so much that we can learn and, and take back from these other cultures to make us stronger too. And I think that's an important thing that I've taken away over, over time and having the benefit and luxury of, of being in different cultures and contexts is that like, there's no one right way to, to do things. And, and for us, I think as Americans, like this confluence of, 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 countries and ethnicities and genders and like confluence of that is what what makes us so strong yeah i like that i think it's important that people hear hear what you're saying i would just say hey go back and listen to that again there's a lot of really good stuff in there and and a lot of it just comes down to you know you're bringing a lot of times you're being brought in as an expert and you're like they just want me to tell them everything that they that they need to hear and i want to do that but a lot of what you're saying is you actually got to sit down and listen Right. And I think that's an important piece for people to to catch on to. Yeah. And listening is active. Like sometimes we think we're not doing anything when we're listening. But for me, I've learned, I think, over the years that actually like listening is an active skill to 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 take it in, to take notes, to make sure that that you're hearing what people are saying. Yeah. You know, as you're as you're talking through some of that, you know, you're talking through the different cultures you've talked with, and even in the role that you're in right now, you've kind of developed, you know, who you are as a person, who you are as a leader. But how, what what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Why do you do how you do things? Why do you why? What is your personal why? If you have one, can you share that with us? Yeah. So my why developed when I I mean I developed it much later when I like kind of realized what my why was. But ultimately, soccer for me has been, I mean, as a youth player, I felt that soccer created an environment that was like safe and healthy and pushed me to be better, like a better version of myself. And so, you know, fast forward now into my, you know, 40 plus years and I, my, my North star, my, my why is really creating like positively affecting people's lives through soccer. Like if I can, if I can do that, then, then I'm, I'm fulfilled. So when I, when I think of like the jobs I'm going to take, or I think about projects I'm going to undertake where I'm going to spend my time, that is like, number one, am I positively affecting people's lives through sport, through soccer in particular? And then also for me, if we're talking about like, values like am i gonna have fun doing it you know we talk a lot about soccer for for kids for girls or for boys you know they're playing in 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 their youth and we always say you know make sure they're having fun 
but I think that concept is important to us as humans throughout our lives. And we need to enjoy our work and our, our kind of livelihood as much as, as living our why through it. So I think they complement each other and they're both equally important. I like that. I don't, I don't think we hear that enough on here about like just having fun and enjoying the moment. And, you know, Marcy, my wife and I talk a lot about just wanting to enjoy the people that we work with, you know, too. And if you can, you can create that for yourself and you can control, if you feel like you have control of that, that's really big. It is, there's a, there's a lot to enjoying the folks that you're around and the things that you're doing for sure. So appreciate that, that insight for sure. Yeah. No, definitely. And I, I think we talk about that a lot. We talk about having fun and it's important to have fun. And we talk about if you enjoy your work, you'll never work a day in your life and all these you know, like pithy, you know, cliche statements. And the, yeah, they're true, but you know, a lot of people don't, don't think that they're like, well, I'll just, I'll have fun when I'm not working. I'll have fun when I'm, you know, and I think that that goes to, you see that. And if they're doing that in life, then that's what they're teaching the kids. And it's just kind of going into the kids as well. Work is just work and you can, you can't enjoy it. It's just work. It's just, it's just the thing you got to go to every day. And to, to be able to invite the kids into, if you do actually see it that way, and it should be that way, right? We should be passionate about what we're doing and, and be able to, to give that to others too, as a gift to those that we're leading. Um, going back. What's that? I love that. So, yeah. What was a defining moment for you? You know, you talked about earlier in your career. You know, playing youth, going to play at you know goalkeeper fraternity. By the way, so that's a that's something that we you know we got that little bit of crazy in us if we if we were keepers. I am um, definitely but, the odd odd person yeah. out in this. this yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so they're quick to admit they're not goalkeepers when there's goalkeepers in the room. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm, yeah. All of a sudden, I'm the oddball in a room of goalkeepers. You know, that's kind of yeah. that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't know that anybody would say you're the oddball in this group, but that's all right, you know, especially with me. I'm not going to speak for Amanda there, but but uh, you know, we, we we talk about this. There's so much there. What was one defining moment in your soccer career as a player, and and why was it so impactful? What did you learn from it, and and really, how are you using that today? Hmm. Well, my soccer career. Well, yeah. So I I played. I was a, a player at the University of Wyoming. I was a, obviously the goalkeeper, as we just talked about. But my junior year, we were playing BYU in Utah, and and I early days in the game, I took I dove to the right. I missed it, but I ended up because I missed the ball, I ended up landing on my shoulder, and I tore my AC joint like pretty bad. And I I refused to come out of the game. Well. Kind of. I mean, my, my coach was like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Really. I knew I wasn't, I was holding my arm by a thread. And by halftime, we were down eight, nothing. <laughs> I, I, you know, at halftime, like coach made the right call and, and took me off. So I was out then for, I mean, the rest of the season. And for me, I was the captain of the team and, and I found that really hard. So, so for me, that was quite a defining moment though, because it shaped Almost we were talking about earlier, right? Like, how do you think about leadership in different roles that you might have, whether you're in the boardroom or or in the team environment? So now I became a captain from the bench, mm. and it was really try. It was really hard. It was really hard. Very competitive. I want to be on the field, but at the same time, you learn, you know, to to support others in in a whole new way and look at the game from a different, I mean, literally from a different angle, right? Like I'm not looking at it from behind the defenders anymore. I'm looking at it from the sideline. So watching the game in a, a completely different way, but also like understanding my teammates in a different way and how to lead from behind. Yeah. 
I think I, I I took that as a, as a core learning from that experience. And, you know, it was a, it was a hardship for me, but you know, the road back and having to fight through injury and come back, you know, for my final season, I think, I think made me stronger, made me stronger overall. So yeah, that was, I would say that was a defining moment in my playing career for sure. It's, it's, it's becoming a theme that when we ask in this, when we're asking this question of people that their most defining moment was an injury. Uh, I believe that. And was the time because that is, you, you realize, first of all, identity of I'm more than a soccer player, first of all. And the other side of it is I can lead from the bench. I can be a part of this team. And it was interesting just yesterday, one of my goalkeepers who's been hurt is now back to where she's, she was had a concussion and she's on doing return to play protocol now. And she says, well, since I can't train today fully, do I need to come to practice? Mm. Which was just a crazy question to me because I'm like, of course, I said, whether you're playing or not, you're part of this team and you are an important part of this team. Everyone is an important part of the team, whether you're playing, whether you're on the bench, whether wherever you are. And that's something that I think is is getting lost in today because there's so many things going on. And a lot of times coaches don't require their injured players to come, which is just crazy to me. It's just like this foreign thing. And I think part of it is with a concussion, you're not able to sometimes come back out, whatever. But anyway, yeah, I love that because I'm, I'm actually going to gonna share this with some of my players because that right there is so important to hear for people out there when you're like, oh, I just got injured into the world, right? It's like, just change the perspective, right? That angle that, that you, you will see life from different angles. You will see life from different perspectives. And so what does that look like? What is your role right now, where you're at? And, and I, I love that. Yeah, I can imagine that that I can see, you know, adversity, you know, builds, builds, you know, can help, can help if you, if you approach it, you know, with an open mind and an open heart can, can certainly make us stronger. So yeah, I, it's interesting that the trend that's, that's forming. I mean, you're asking athletes, right? So like your coaches or, or people in soccer. So you can imagine that that trend goes through, but that's cool. Yeah. I'm, I appreciate you sharing that story too, about your player asking that. And then what a, what a teachable moment. Oh, 100%. And that's, I mean, that's what I love. I mean, I love having all this fresh on my mind all the time because, you know, you could respond very differently as a coach if you're sitting there going, you could, you could, I could say it differently as well, you know, just so how, how you deliver the message too is, is a teachable moment for me and for her. So I think for, as coaches, we, we should be hopefully continually learning and continually saying, okay, this isn't, you know, what it was like when we were kids, you know, right? It's just a completely different world. And, and so how can we engage in that and still teach the same lessons that hopefully we learned playing, you know, and on that note, what can you think of any other lessons that you learned playing, you know, playing the game specifically that you've used in your leadership? Like of the organizations you're working with now. You know what? You know what I have stuck in my mind, and I'm not sure if this is going to answer your question directly, but it's the another. It kind of goes to the other one about adversity, but it's also a lesson. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go here. Go with it. Go, go with it. it. It's on my mind, and I <laughs> do it. I, so when I was a when I was a kid, because now we're talking about youth soccer, right? When I was a kid, I was in Arizona. And I, I started playing soccer really late in life. I was probably, I, I had one, one tuck at a season in, in the, the fifth grade with, with an AYSO team, which I, I love AYSO. I hated playing soccer when I was, <laughs> when I was in the fifth grade, but then I was 13 and all my girlfriends were playing and 
they're like, come out and play. So I went back and, and gave it a go. I couldn't kick snow off a rope and I was not fit. So they threw me in goal, but then I got really competitive with it. So by the time I got to high school, I was like, okay, I'm, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the best. So, but I was terrible. And I, there was no, I was in Tucson, Arizona. There was no specialty training. I've had, I I was a child with divorced parents with not a lot of money in the family. Like it was a real grind even to, to play. And one day I remember getting in the mail, a flyer from Tony DeChico's goal soccer plus goalkeeper school. You guys might remember that from back in the day. And uh, still, I mean, still, but, but way back when Tony was, was running the camps. And I was like, this is it. I'm a goalkeeper. I need to go to goalkeeper school. Like that's how you do. But I didn't have the money to do it. So I, I was like, all right, here's, here's a situation. I want to be the best at this. I found a solution, but I can't afford it, which I'm sure a lot of players today are actually finding themselves in that position, given the the cost of of youth soccer. But back then I thought, all right, so here's what I'm going to do. I put together a campaign and I went door to door. And I raised $20, you know, in my neighborhood. I went to all like, there's a bunch of like strip malls along this like uh-huh. road, Tucson. And I went door to door in all the strip malls and I would write down like donated $20 and I put together this whole campaign and I managed to raise enough money. It was I don't know, a couple hundred dollars yeah. and gas money for my mom to drive me, you know, to, to San Diego or wherever. And I, you know, and I, I put together enough money to go to camp, but then I got there and I was like, oh man, you know, I got to get home. So I, <laughs> I started, I, I made these, these necklaces, like I, I'm out of clay, little clay balls. They look like little soccer balls. I'd pop them in the oven before I, and I, I, I like, you know, what's like a hemp, like little hemp, little necklaces yeah, that were yeah. that were super cool in the nineties. I, I thought at least they were cool in the nineties and I could sell them for $5 each, like on the black market at, at, And, and I was, I was, you know, I was making a good little couple hundred dollars. Right. So I found this, I found a way to fund like my own soccer ambitions, like just by being scrappy and figuring it out. And of course, writing them all thank you notes and making sure that I like kept, you know, kept, came back to all those people donated. And I told them how excited, you know, what a great experience it was. And then the next year they, they came back to me and donated again. Are you going to soccer camp? Do you want to go again? So I did. I ended up going to two camps that year and my, my made the varsity soccer team in high school. We won a state championship. Eventually I got a college scholarship. And so for me, like, but it all kind of started back. That was a really change changing moment in my life where I like was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Now I'm going to figure out how to get it done. And I had to do it myself. That there may be the most told story from this podcast, like (laughs) of parents to their kids I have no doubt this will be told in the dark house, maybe played <laughs> in the dark house. I don't know about you, Paul, but that that's my thinking on that. Oh, it's story. gold. It's gold. Yeah. I mean, you're really kind of ahead of the times with name, image, and likeness before you know, that was even a thing. <laughs> you know, you're like, hey, like, come on. But but you were doing it to like really actually help you pay for things, not because you had money but wanted more money. You're like, I actually need help to get this done. Yeah. So, so that's that's an amazing that story. That's awesome. I, that's, I'll, I'll encourage people to, to, to put that on replay over and over again in front of their kids. I think it's awesome. I think of my kids going out and trying to sell rocks down the street. They're doing it just because they want to sell rocks, not because they yeah. want to go to soccer camp. But maybe now it's like, hey, you want to go to soccer camp? Like, go sell those rocks. But I think, Paul, what it is, is it's a story of, you know, 
it's it's a hurdle it's a barrier and so often kids are like nope can't do it because of xyz you know and yeah. and they even have the fun i think of a, a stack of books at my house that my kid still hasn't sold for his science camp or whatever you know and and it's it's a if it's not easy if it's not easy we say well can't happen as opposed to no that's just every barrier almost every i'm not gonna say every virtually every barrier can be overcome if you really want it enough. You know, you might not have the talent to do something. That's a different conversation. But if it's just something that's money or that's why I say never met, let money be the reason you don't do something. You can, that, you can figure that out. If it's important enough, you can figure it out and there will be people that will get behind it. And so I think that that is something that's such a great lesson because too often kids are like, nope, can't do it just because it's a cost or because it's in a place that I can't get to, whatever it may be, if you want it bad enough, it's, it's, it's something that you can raise that. You can go do stuff. But I love that. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. I'm glad, like, very glad you shared that story. Yeah. yeah you, find, you, find the, you find those moments with everybody, with, with, with me even. Like if there's something that you want bad enough, are you willing to figure out how to get it done? Or, or do you really not want it that bad so you actually change what you want? right? You have a choice, right? Mm-hmm. You really want it, figure out how to get it done, which is exactly what, what you did, Amanda, or like, you know what, mm, maybe I really don't want to be a great goalkeeper. So I'll do something else. And a lot along your path, I mean, I mean, that's so like, it's inspiring, I think to probably a ton of people noticed for me and a lot of other people too, through your, through your career, you know, as, as a, a podcast on leadership that directs itself to, to coaches and players, were, were, was there one or two coaches in your career that really impacted you and what lessons would you say he or she or they all of them put put in front of you as an example in your leadership well i'm gonna stick with the high school team because that's where we're at and my high school her name's alicia kinsler she played at santa clara and then she came to to tucson arizona and took on this scrappy little soccer team sabino high school and again this is like like my journey i i started again at 13 i was doing soccer plus in the summers. I was trying to figure out, I mean, my motivation was a college scholarship because I didn't have a lot of you know money in my family. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. So that was also motivating me to do the soccer plus stuff. But Alicia took this group of kind of, I don't know, scrappy players, you know, high school, you, 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 it's not based on, it's just based on your geography, how you get thrown together in a high school team. Right. And she brought this element to my game and to everyone on my team of, I would call it mental toughness or mental skills in a way that I think was outside the box, but it worked for us. So what we did, part of our team bonding early in the season is we did Tai Chi as a team. Mm-hmm. And what ended up, we all like, you know, we we kind of used it to help us focus and, and kind of ground us before we would play a game. What ended up happening is we started doing it before warmups. We would all 18 of us would go out on the pitch at midfield before the game. And we we do 15 minutes of Tai Chi as a team. (laughs) The other team, I know every time the other team was like, what are these weirdos doing, you know, out on the field doing Tai Chi. But for us, it became like this bonding, like focus our energies, ground us in the game, leave all the parents out, you know, out outside of we're here together as this group. And we're really focused on like our body and how we're going to like perform. 
So that year was, that was my junior year in, in high school. And we won the state championship that year. And I remember being in Phoenix playing against Paradise Valley, this team in, in Phoenix, we played against for state championship, walking onto the field and doing Tai Chi before the game, the stands, you know, a bunch of people in the stands for a high school game. It was chock full. And I remember, I can literally remember the other team staring at us, like, what are they doing? But we won, we won the game. We won, we won that year. And I think what she, Alicia brought to us was this element that, especially in high school was, was so outside, you know, outside the box, but so critically important to the foundation, not only as me, of me as a soccer player, but as me as a person throughout my entire life that like becoming like comfortable in yourself and being able to focus and, and like, like cut out the junk, cut out the noise was, was like, she, she just, she brought that into my life and I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And I've done a little bit of research, Amanda, and I may be wrong and please tell me if I am, but you just mentioned that your high school coach was a, was a, was a female, correct? Yeah. Am I also correct that your college coach was a female? Yeah. Yeah. That, that is extremely, extremely rare. When did you, when did you, did you ever have a, a, a male coach? I mean, this is, I mean, I'm not making a big deal about this, but I kind of am because I don't know that how many people I've talked to that have had a female coach in high school, a female coach in college, because the trend now is there's so many male coaches coaching females. We're trying to get more women in the game, right, to coach the females. But you had a unique opportunity to have that female influence throughout your soccer career. Maybe maybe talk about that a little bit. And I, don't know, I just kind of saw that and it stuck out to me. Maybe yeah, you've never even thought true. about it. I, I, I definitely think about it and I have had male coaches uh, along the way for sure. But those, when I talk about the ones that had the biggest impact on me, I, I always lean into the women, whether it's Alicia or my college coach and more like I, I do tend to lean into that. I do feel like they impacted me in special ways that were beyond the X's and O's, whether it was them like just relating with me as women, you know, as we go through like biological or physiological changes to be able to talk to women about that throughout my career, or whether, you know, they, they might, you know, share an empathy with me around how I lead or how I engage in a team or group dynamic, just in a, just in a, a, a different way than, than some of my male coaches have, but, you know, but again, you learn from all, all different genders of, 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 I mean, you, we learn from everyone, right? So yeah, different things from my male coaches that I'm, I'm as grateful for in, in my journey as well. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it is, it is a unique privilege I've had to be coached by, by women. And now as a woman, as a woman who coached as a, you know, I definitely, I definitely tried to reflect a lot of my coaching style and, and in things that they brought to me through my career. Yeah, for sure. And as a leader in business too, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I have different connections with the women in my office too, that, that I know they, you know, it's one of those, if you can see her, you can be her moments for me every day. (laughs) And and I know that when I walk in the office, the impact of being a female president of an organization is, is, you know, it's meaningful. It's meaningful, not just, you know, I'm, I'm in a position of privilege, but I think meaningful to the people around me, both men and women. Yeah. Well, I just found that very unique. I mean, as I coached with my wife for a very long time, and it was it was more than more times than not that a player would come on campus and say, "Well, I've never played." I mean, female players. I've never played for a female coach. And it's just it's crazy, but that's yeah. the norm. And you kind of had a different experience. And but I love what you said. Like, I, and I totally agree. 
you know, we can learn from everybody, but there are those different relationships and experiences. And I, you know, I encourage staffs, like, I think it's important to have male and female on your staffs, whether it's, you know, a male team or a female team, that doesn't really matter to me, but those experiences are very unique. But I, I, I just, I saw that and I'm like, man, that's just, I, I, you don't hear that a lot. So I appreciate you sharing, sharing that yeah. kind of what that was for you. I mean, I've, I've coached adult men too, by the way. And like, that was an awesome. amazing so it's it's for I think for them to have a, a female coach too was they had ne- yeah they had never had a, a woman coach that team before and so that was a pretty special experience too. Yeah, uh, super cool. No, definitely. I mean, two couple things stand out to me. One is that you guys basically did the the haka, you know, instead of <laughs> instead yeah. of that, it was tai yeah. chi, and so that's basically intimidating because they're like, what is going on, right? I tried to get my team heads. to do their own version of the haka this year, and they didn't. They didn't. They didn't take me up on it. But <laughs> the other thing is, I will say, as a male coach of high school girls, I have three girls myself. When my when my girls talk to me about their their female issues. That's a very different conversation than if, if our, you know, one of our players told us this year, you know, I can't make it to practice because of, you know, one of those issues. And it was, it was not, it's like, okay, that was a little TMI, you know, for us to know, but, but for a, a, a female coach who I think is more appropriate for that, we actually always have a female coach on our staff and if we can help it because of those reasons, right? Because most females will not feel comfortable with those types of conversations with their male coach and, and male coaches usually don't feel converse, comfortable with those either with, you know, with, with young women who are not their children, right? Especially, especially in today's day and age where it's just, you, you got to be careful, right? In a lot of these, in a lot of these relationships for obvious reasons. So anyway, that, that's something that I think is important to, to just touch on there. Well, we're learning a lot. I think for so long, the science of soccer, the science of sport has focused on the study of men and men's bodies. I mean, shoes are, cleats are built for a man's foot, whereas a woman's anatomy and, and our, our, our body is built different. We're bigger, you know, our, our hips are heavier or we have a narrower, you know, heel in a boot. Right. So like even equipment has just kind of, we have this old adage, like shrink it and pink it. Right. That was, that was, (laughs) you know, through time, but today we're actually starting to see research into women in particular. So, you know, if we, if we even take the topic that we're on, we're actually learning a lot about the menstruation cycle of girls and women and how it affects their performance. Mm -hmm. And so what periods like throughout your menstruation as a woman, and I'm not, I mean, not to to make anyone uncomfortable talking about this, this is understand the science of a woman's body and the impact of that on her performance, we can then change things like when does she eat more protein? When does she need to get folate or vitamin B or other, other nutrients into her body? Cause she might be losing them like throughout her cycle and that's going to enhance her performance. So once we can move it out of a realm of a taboo topic to talk about and actually understand that women's just women's science is equally as important as men's science. It just hasn't been studied or talked about as much. We'll, we'll collectively increase and enhance the performance of women and, and give them the freedom and autonomy to be professionals and elite, elite players. I say pros, but I mean, like the ability to compete at their highest level, whatever they choose to pursue, because we acknowledge and accept that their bodies are normal and, and we can talk about those things. So, I mean, I'm excited that we've brought this up as a topic because I'm, I'm quite passionate about it. We're starting to see it just kind of enter the industry, especially at the professional levels. There are some 
some clubs, there's some research being done around whether it's ACL injuries in women, which we see at a more high frequency than men, whether it's, you know, that topic of menstruation, mental health, certain things that, that just have never been studied exclusively around the, around girls and women. So that's a, it's an exciting time in the game that we're actually having these conversations. Yeah. It's yeah super man, I, think, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to breeze by it. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm as excited about it to talk about it as you are my last five or six years at Baylor something that I would work with, with our strength coaches and our ATCs and our doctors to try to look into more of those things, because it is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of new research, but not enough of stable research yet. So we were trying to help kind of be guinea pigs a little bit. We're just like, Hey, what information can we provide? Because we felt like that was a, that is a, an area where we can get better to help our female athletes be successful, you know, on and off the field. Cause you talk yeah. about mental and all those things too. And you're right. It can't be taboo. We've got to be able to talk about it. We've got to be able to, you know, as male coaches, be comfortable in those environments. And I guess maybe I was in the women's game long enough that it really didn't bother me <laughs> anymore to say, you know, it's just, it's normal, you know, and, and, and whatnot. So I think there's a whole nother conversation on that another time, but that research is very, very intriguing to me, especially the relationship to the menstrual cycle and the, the possible ACL injuries. That's something that was very, very interesting to us that we paid a lot of attention to in our training regiment as to, you know, you have your normal training regimens up and downs based on games, but also like what individuals do need based on their menstrual cycle too, is really, really intriguing to me. Yeah. And I, and I would say on that too, is, is all that you said, yes, for sure. We need to normalize it. We need to, we need to make sure that is something that is talked about because you know, it's, it, you know, it's just, it should be talked about just as easily as girls have struggled turning their hips as fast as a male. So you got to round it a little more, you know, to be able to make that cross versus just, you know, t- you know, doing it like it should be as, as normal as that, right? Like that's something we talk about. It's not a big deal, but I think you got to earn the conversation too, as a coach, you can't just come straight into that because I think it would be uncomfortable, especially for some of the, some of the girls, you know, I know talking to my girls at home, just certain men can say things to them and it's fine. Others, they'd be weird and it would be okay. That's not appropriate. And so you got to earn that conversation. I think you need to set it up as this is something that we're going to talk about. And this is something, and here's why we're going to talk about it. It's not a weird thing. It's something that's a natural thing. It's something that's, that's just biological. And it's something that if we can master it as a team and we can say, this is important to do, and we want to prevent injuries in you. We want to be able to have you perform at your highest level and for you to flourish. And part of your flourishing is for us to understand that. And so if you don't feel comfortable talking to me, we have this coach here who you can talk to about it, but we need to know this information so we can help you perform at your best. And I think if we do stuff like that in our teams, like set it up at the beginning that way, we can be able to, you know, have these conversations in a real way. But today's day and age, I think male coaches, a lot of times I talk to different male coaches that are afraid to say anything because of, you know, they're, they could get in trouble or it's, the girl could take it the wrong way or, or they could say it in a way that was, wasn't quite appropriate. And so to have more education on it and to have more conversations to be able to have, like, you know, Paul, I know at, at Baylor, you had the different coaches that were connected with the different players because that was the better fit for them. And to be able to study our players that way, I think is, is huge. So anyway, that's, that's something that I I've seen, especially at the high school level and having three daughters myself who tell me a lot of those things. Well, if we can root it in facts, not feelings, 
Yeah. I think we're going to be more successful having those conversations. So, you know, in a podcast about how, you know, leadership and soccer, my, my, my thought on this is it's about, it's really about rooting it in the data and the insights and the facts and removing like the, the feeling from it, because it, it is a, it is a fact of life that women have a different body than men, that girls go through different developmental processes and cycles. That's a fact. And yeah. so if we can root it in that and, and, take time to learn the facts and take the responsibility as a coach of female athletes, whether you're a man or a woman or, or identify one way or another, it's not, it's, that's not what it's about. It's about our responsibility as coaches, as leaders to understand the people that we're influencing and impacting and what's their reality. What's, what are the facts? And then, and then once we, once we take that responsibility ourselves, we can then help them achieve because it's not about us. It's about them. Yep. 100%, 100%. 100%, 100%. And I think if they see that and they know that, then that absolutely is, will shine through. And if we, and I think that starts with the coaches really studying it, understanding it and being able to, to speak that into the, into the players. And there are women coaches who are uncomfortable yeah. talking about that stuff oh, for too, sure. but, yeah, for sure. uh, but it's not a yeah. gender issue. It's a, it's a knowledge, it's a knowledge experience. Yeah. Yeah. A very good point. I know my wife is, is, you know, she didn't necessarily, her mom didn't speak to her that way, you know, didn't talk to her about that stuff. So for her, it was, it was a learned experience to be able to do that as well. So, yeah. And that's a big responsibility to put on a woman on your staff to say, oh, well, you're a woman. So you have to, you're the person they all go to, to talk about this topic. Well, what if that woman's uncomfortable talking about it? That's right. Like that, that's actually like, like, could, I mean, could be, I mean, it's another dynamic to think about that just, yeah women doesn't mean we want to talk about someone's period like it's not <laughs> that's a good like, it's point. not how it works yeah. like we, have to, yeah. we have to understand the facts and the data and the insights and the science that is a great point i i, I talk about that in other issues all the time about it's it's more personality than it is gender i think in most things you know certain personalities can talk about anything and everything and it doesn't bother them others don't want to talk about anything because it's it's just weird and you know it and so i and i think so and it's not just personalities too there's no gen there's no generalization it also goes to your upbringing what you talked about all these different things that that go into it so that that's that's a good word there um, went down a rabbit hole on this one guys sorry about hey no i really excited what we love you wanted to talk podcasts. about it <laughs> The rabbit, the rabbit holes are sometimes the best conversations, you know, That's you right. the unexpected turns and twists that keeps everybody engaged. And, you know, it's good. That doesn't surprise me at all based on the fact that, you know, where we, where we met, you know, there's no, there's nothing but rabbit holes. And the, you know, like you said, what we're supposed to talk about, we'll talk about, and it's good stuff. And I think this is, these are, this is a very important issue. I think it's super important and a lot of stuff most people probably haven't even thought about and unfortunately so uh, you know on uh, so we're gonna we're gonna are gonna shift and go into something that a lot of changes you know the, the last few decades in u.s soccer has been you know a lot of changes you know good bad some might say ugly and some might say really good and so i think there's a lot of those things and probably fit into all those different categories. And, and so I want, I want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on that, kind of the, the highs and the lows and what the, the, the things that you love about current U.S. soccer and would love to change. But, and I, I want you to kind of blend it into how you're incorporating that into your leadership at USL and the initiatives that you have there. There's a lot there, Phil. I'm, I, you know, I don't keep it, I don't make it easy for you. I do not, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, again, more important issues. So let's see, let's see what you can do with it. Yeah. I mean, listen, the United States and our vast network of soccer players in this country is unbelievable. I mean, there are 
you know, 2 million girls playing soccer in America. There's 40,000 college players across all levels, division one, division two, three, NAIA, JUCO, 40,000 women and, and 300 professional jobs for, for players, you know, amplify that out times the number of coaches, the number of referees, the number of front office and staff opportunities. You know, it's, it's amazing in, in the United States. And I'm like really proud to have been a part of that especially the growth of it, like back in the, you know, Title IX, when Title IX was established in 70, 1972, and it awarded, you know, equal kind of opportunity for women in college athletics, I was certainly a recipient of that. And I think we've seen that really drive a lot of the growth of women's soccer and girls soccer in particular, you know, throughout the years. So for me, just the, 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 I don't know, the number of opportunities for, for girls to play is, is something that really inspires me, you know, but there's also, there's also a challenge. There's a couple challenges with that. I think, I think what we're doing and what we're doing at the USL kind of dovetailing into how we're like, what we're building here is a, is a full pathway from youth to pro with academy and amateur pre-professional league and a professional league to solve some of the challenges in the current system for, for all of those constituents. So, you know, I think if you look in the, the youth landscape, what we're building on the academy system is, is for you 20 players. There's no age banding in our academies because if you're good enough, you're old enough within the academy system. And it's really meant for that, you know, 16 to, to pre-college or pre-professional developmental age when today a lot of kids sign to, you know their college they're going to go to college at 16 and how the development continues in in that period we want to be able to complement that and and create an elite environment for players who want to continue to develop for their college team or for their W league team or for their professional team in the future so that their development continues as athletes. I I hear a lot from college coaches that when they get there at at 18, they maybe haven't learned some of the off the field skills or more, you know, well-rounded, I guess, skills you might get in a, in a, in a developmental program, as opposed to, you know, play to win or play to be seen program. So that's what Academy kind of fills that space for us in, in the USL. So you'll see we're launching Academy this year and you'll see that start to build out across the country to create these regionalized Academy systems that also mitigate travel costs and expenses because they're regional leagues. Yeah. Yeah. So in the college, the college game, which again is, is amazing. And it's, what's really set us apart, not only, you know, here in the U S but, but around the world. So here is a sport, but around the world in soccer, but what we're seeing in the college game is this gap of, of development in the summer. You know, they're only playing for a couple months out of the year. Stanford, North Carolina, these top UCLA top teams, they're only getting really training at this competitive, high competitive level for a short period of time. So what we're trying to do is create elite league from May to July where that doesn't impact their collegiate eligibility, but has exceptionally high standards so that the players know if they come into the W league in the summer, they're going to continue their development, continue their training, come into preseason ready for those quick three months where their coach is expecting them, you know, to compete right off the bat and, you know, pass a beep test or a Cooper test on day one. Well, you know, the summertime is a really important period for them to be ramping up to that level of fitness that their coaches are going to expect early days in college. So we're trying, you know, through that, we want to like create an environment, supplement that, that age, you know, 
19 to 23 year old kind of U23 age group in, in their annual like training and development. And then of course, I mentioned there's 300 pro jobs today in the United States, but what happens that number 40,000 getting reduced to, to 300 is quite a big Delta. We know that a lot of college players today who maybe don't make it pro because there's such a small number of players that get drafted today, they either quit or they go abroad. So what we want to do is create what we're doing. The Super League will be a space in the United States where we can retain a lot of that talent from going abroad or facilitate that journey so that we know if they do want to go abroad, we can ensure that they're going to a place that is, is best for their development or best you know, for, for, for what they want their future to look like, whether they want to play for the national team, whether they, they want to live abroad, like have different experiences. So we want to be able to help, help facilitate and at the same time, create a space. We have a lot of Americans abroad right now, by the way, playing professionally, and, and we'd love to, to you know, have the space for them to play here too. So that's kind of a, to answer your question, Phil, like how we're, we see, you know, the, there's so many opportunities, but there are some gaps. And so the USL has built this full player pathway from youth to pro, but in a way that complements the existing system and creates more opportunities for players, coaches, refs, fans, et cetera, to really engage in, in women's soccer all along that pathway. Yeah. yeah. You know, and on that, <clears throat> one of the things that we've heard over and over and over again is, is one of the issues with the system. The current system is just the pay to play, right? The idea of that's just, it's hard and it costs money to, to run clubs, it costs money to do this stuff. But as you said, we want to make it more affordable. What is it, what, what can we do to help those, you know, kind of the vulnerable, the at risk, the, the populations that just don't have money. I mean, they, they just flat out don't have money. Maybe they don't have the opportunity to walk door to door. Cause if they do, they, it's too dangerous, right? It's like, just not a good neighborhood. It's not, there's no money in their neighborhood. There's no things like that. Like how can we ensure that everyone who wants to play and our coach has access? I mean, I, I know that this is one of your heartbeats that I've seen on your website. I've seen in everything you write pretty much has access and opportunity to do, do so. And that they can get the training and coaching to fulfill their potential. Like what, how can we, what, what is it that you're doing? What is it that we can do together to be able to, to do that? Yeah. I think the most important word in that entire question is we, because there's no one group organization or person who can do that alone. I mean, it's, it's this country is, is, it's hard to get to soccer. Like it's hard to get to a field, you know, 80 by 120 doesn't exist in the middle of New York city. Like it, right. you know, and I, it's, it is a real challenge, but I think, you know, whether it's, whether it's innovations to get players from the city to those environments, maybe there's technology or travel innovations or some way where we can actually physically get them there. Or we've got to create spaces within their environments, you know, for them to be able to 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 play, and then encouraging like good coaching. That's where the opportunity comes in too, right? It's one thing to give people a field and a ball, but mm -hmm. also teaching them those skills. So, you know, I mean, for it's a it's a real hard. It's it's not an easy. There's no easy solution. Where I do, you know, at the at the USL, we're really trying to build our academy as that space for players 
to see what the professional environment is is like to get access to senior team environments so they can assess you know if a professional pathway is something that they want to explore that they want to continue and those are attached to they're all attached to senior team environments a w league or super league team so so that they can get into those and and we work really closely with the other organizations across the country whether it's usu soccer ucnl us club the girls academy all these organizations like we're working with them to help facilitate like access to to the academy and you don't have to be an elite level player to to get into that and experience that profession that that environment it's a challenge and it takes all of us working together to to find ways to you know create those moments in those spaces and and understanding what are the challenges that 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 they're facing. I, I mean, I mentioned this one challenge of, of transportation, right? Okay. So how can we collectively solve that? But you know, there's, there's so many others and I think they're going to take just step-by-step collaboration and investment in order to do it. Yeah. No, I like that. Yeah. No, I think we've got to start wrapping things up here a little bit, but Amanda, I would love to talk to you offline about some of the things you touched on. One of the things I'm doing after getting out of college coaching is kind of going back and working with individual clubs about how to actually prepare those players for college. Because as a college coach, I recognize like, hey, there's a big gap here and there's a way to fill that gap. So I'm trying to go into clubs and help help prepare those players for what they're about to expect. So I'd love to share some information, maybe back and forth with some common goals there. I would love to talk about that with you. That's awesome. Yes, please. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) And and two, on that note, Amanda, where where can people find more information about all this that we're talking about as far as the the different things that USL is doing and and be able to connect with you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Well, anyone can connect with me on Twitter. I'm Vandy01 on Twitter. So anyone can send me a DM or or find me on, I would have said Clubhouse, but <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as accessible as, as possible. But so we just published Step Up, which is the women's soccer strategy at, at the USL. I kind of took it from my time living in Europe. I really saw like FIFA published a women's soccer strategy, UEFA, the English league. Like you see that a lot of organizations put out like, okay, what is your strategy? So we did that work internally and wanted to put it out there. So people understood the pathway we're building. Like how does Academy connect to W? How does it connect to Super League? And so you can go read all about that at uslsoccer.com slash step dash up step up and and download. It's like maybe 15 pages with lots of pictures and lots of graphs, but it it really describes what we're, what we're building. So on this podcast, we kind of, we just talked a little bit about what, what the problem is. Step up is the USL solution for that, where we believe our, our, our part to play is in that knowing that the entire soccer community needs to come together collectively to, to help the United States continue to achieve in, in women's soccer, you know, into the future. So, so yeah, uslsoccer.com slash forward slash step dash up or on Twitter, USL Super League on Twitter, USLW League, or of course my personal is at Vandio one and it's all there in the bio. Yeah. And we'll have that in the show notes too. So definitely check all that out. And, uh, you know, no doubt if you are a part of that solution, you know, we need to work together. I mean, I'm a, I'm a collaborator, connector, collaboration hub, love to do all that. And I know you are a collaborator as well. And so it's something that we need to get the people together who want to work together, can work together. We need to work together to be able to, to do this. So I 100% agree with that. Love that. Yep. 
And as my good friend Phil always says, all good things must come to an end. And so we're kind of wrapping things up here. Always in with two two questions with all of our guests. We'd love to ask you the same. What? How do you use the lessons you've learned directly from the game of soccer in your personal relationships outside the game? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know that I even live outside the game. My game. Is- <laughs> <laughs> that might be the best relationship outside of soccer. Oh, I don't That's even think I can on one hand. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. That's it. That's a great answer in itself that like, you're just in the game. You're never outside of the game. So soccer lifer, let's go. Love it. Love it. Well, I'm going to take that as an answer. Cause I think that must be the best answer we've ever had. So I'm going to move on to the second question. Hey, careful. Uh, Paul. What you... Now everyone's going to answer that way and we're not going to have any other answers. So I don't know. We're not we'll going to let anybody else answer that. Oh, okay. Way, okay. It's already we'll been taken. Yeah. Like, I no, said no, 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 okay. they stole everyone's injury answer earlier. So at least I've got one <laughs> unique one here. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Amanda, what have you watched, read, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how soccer explains life and leadership? What are you What are you watching, reading, or listening to, or have? Because I'm such a it's nerd, a I read all the reports. Like I read like the FIFA report, the UEFA reports, the technical reports. Like I'm like, I I I'm like I consume industry reports. <laughs> it's it's awesome. The least, it's the least sexy answer I could possibly give you, but. <laughs> It's the truth. And, and, and I, and Twitter, honestly, I like, I genuinely love listening to, to people like who have different opinions than me. Sometimes they're, they're hard, but to hear, but I think that they're important because I, I I think listening is a critical component and active listening is something that we as leaders need to take seriously that you don't always have to be doing a lot of what we need to be doing is listening. Yeah. Love it. That's great. That is such great leadership advice right there. One of the things that I said, somebody asked me that once, like, what's the one thing that you could tell a leader to do that would be uh, help them grow in their leadership the most? And one of the things that I said was to, to purposefully listen and read people that you know will disagree with you mm-hmm. because it helps you strengthen your convictions and it might teach you something and help you understand that I got it wrong. You know, and that's that's leadership is to realize when you got it wrong, admit it and be able to make the change. And so, yeah, I I love that to be able to to listen to that. Now, I also want to you know have the caveat that sometimes on social media we get people that are not necessarily things we want to learn from because they're just mad at each other and just yelling. But there's a lot of really good stuff in there, too, as we talk about everything has its shadow. So I very much appreciate that. Appreciate you, Amanda, all that you're doing. Thank you for taking the time to be part of the conversation. I'm very grateful that we have been connected and will continue to hopefully work together to, to, to do good in the, in the world of soccer. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. And thanks for all you guys are doing. This is, it's, it's awesome. And, and I'm, just, I'm just pleased to be part of it. Thank you. Well, great. Well, thank you folks for being a part of this and thank you for um, just all that you're doing out there in the world of soccer to to help make things better. And, you know, I hope that you do take Amanda up on it. And if you have ideas in this, if you have ways that we can make this better, help let us know here at How Soccer Explains Leadership. Connect with Amanda. We'll have all of her contact info in the show notes along with anything else that was referenced in this episode. I don't know if I'll put all the different reports in there, but we will have a link to FIFA or something that will get you to some of them, at least a good start 
if you want to geek out on that stuff too. So we also will be able to connect you with Paul and Marcy at warriorwaysoccer.com to learn all that they're doing there, coachingthebiggergame.com. Again, you can ch- check out that link at the show notes to find out what I'm doing with Christian DeVries to help you and your coaching staff be able to, to help your self-leadership, leading your individuals and leading your team. With all of that, we hope that you're taking all that you're learning from this show to help you be a better leader in all you do, to be a better coach, better parent, better spouse, and just a better friend, and that you'll continually remind yourself that soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Great couple weeks. <laughs>